on Let's Get Real Podcast this week, we're going to talk about and finish up our series on the authenticity of the Bible, and we're going to discuss the question that is often asked by many people. You say you have 66 books. What about the 11 books of the Apocrypha? What about other sources? Let's get real about the question, how did we just get 66 books of the Bible? And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, We've got to finish up the series, I guess you could say, with reference to the authenticity of the Bible. And a couple couple weeks ago, I shared with you a uh, a podcast about the the Bible as far as its authenticity. Now, what I want to do is I want to address a question that has come up. Uh, from time to time. It usually comes up in open form question and answer sessions on the number of books of the Bible. You know, how come other books are not in there? How come they're not included? And, and the question sounds like, sounds like this. Why are there just 66 books of the Bible and not others that they have found later in history? Now, what I want to do is I want to dive in and state that the Bible is more than just a book. The Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books with a common theme that points to a Messiah who would come and die for sinful man's redemption, be buried, and rise from the dead three days later in the same glorified body. Now, to put this a little bit more succinctly, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents that are written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses recording for supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies, and they claim that the writings are divine rather than human in origin. Now, 66 books written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. But, you know, the question still stands, why just 66 books? The rest of this, what I want to do is I want to share with you some reasons why. Now, first and foremost, we need to understand that there were some preliminaries with regards to this. Some of us may have heard the word of this word canon. Now, I'm not talking about the word canon, C-A-N-N-O-N, but what I'm talking about is this word C-A-N-O-N. Now, what does that word mean? Now, the word canon in this context means standard or list of index of standards. When we apply this to the Bible, and when we talk about Scripture, it means an officially accepted list of books. The important thing that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds is the fact the church did not create the canon. The early Christians did not create the canon. The early Christians actually recognized that the books were inspired from their inception. And I'll get into this a little bit more. The church did not make them inspired. There was no biases as to as to what would be in the books. There was a certain standard that they used that we'll get into in just a moment. But they were inspired by God when they were written. Now, the question comes to the forefront here is why do you need a standard set of books? Well, 
there are several factors that need to be brought to the forefront as to the need <clears throat> for a set of books. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament had certain circumstances that led to their respective standard of documents. So when you take the Old Testament, there are a couple factors that gave rise to the Old Testament canon. The first one was the fact that the Jews were scattered after the destruction of A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And that was A.D. 70. Josephus writes about that, and other writers write about it. And interestingly enough, none of the gospel writers write about it, which means that the gospel writers were early. But that's we'll get to the New Testament in just a moment. But getting back, the Jews were scattered after the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and there was a great need for them to determine which books of antiquity for the, that time were the authoritative word of God. Now, the second fact that was interesting, too, in the fact that there was the need for an Old Testament standard, and it was the fact that the Christian church was growing, and there came the need for the Jews to reject anything that was not their own coming out of the Christian community. Now, the New Testament, on the other hand, the New Testament faced with some adversity which brought forth the need for the canon of Scripture that could be considered authoritative. And this is, this is where you see, like, Peter, um, trying to think of his name back in the 80s, um, who had the, the search for the historical Jesus. You know, you hear a lot of these books for the New Testament that came out, but there are three reasons why those books that came later aren't acceptable as part of the New Testament canon. First, there was the adversity of heresy coming from the heretic Marcion, and his, his time was right around A.D. 140. And he had developed his own canon and began to cause havoc in his propagating his work. Second, many of the Eastern churches were using books in their worship services that were certainly spurious documents. And the, a third factor here came when Rome, in the Edict of Diocletian of A.D. 303, had declared the destruction of all sacred books of the Christians, including the authoritative scrolls. Now, the early church father, Eusebius, writes in his History of the Church, uh, Book 8 and Part 2, he says in the ninth, it was the 19th year of Diocletian's reign, A.D. 303, in the month of Distress, called March by the Romans. And the festival of our Savior's Passion was approaching when the empirical decree was published everywhere, ordering the churches to be raised. That means R-A-Z-E. D, that means leveled to the ground, raised to the ground, and the scriptures destroyed by fire, and giving notice that those in places of honor would lose their places and domestic staff if they continued to profess Christianity, they would be deprived of their liberty. Such was the first edict against us. Of course, Eusebius was a believer. Soon afterwards, other decrees arrived in rapid succession, ordering that the presidents, though the pastors of the churches, in every place should be all first committed to prison 
then coerced by every possible means in offering a sacrifice. What was that sacrifice to? That was to Caesar. Athanasius tells us in his festal letter of A.D. 367 of a list of 27 books, which are the same exact books in the current New Testament. Justin Marta, who was a second century apologist and church father, in his first apology, which means defense, of A.D. 150, confers that on the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together to one place of all those who live in the cities or in the country, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writing of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Interesting. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president or pastor presents admonition and invitation to the imitation of these good things. That is from his first apology, his first defense, chapter twenty, uh, chapter 67. So, we can see here that as early as Justin Martyr and as late as Athanasius, the early church had recognized a set standard of authoritative works ranging from the what we know as the Old Testament works and the New Testament works. But now, with all this background, how did these books become authoritative? Now, that is probably one of the biggest bones of any Bible critic trying to go and say, well, I'll believe this Bible when you give me good evidence. Well, I'm going to give you some pieces here where we're going to lay out the, the canon as far as how they were, what were the tests, in other words, what were the tests for including a work from an ancient writer into the canon of authoritative works? 